accounts like this that we're dealing with this morning, where Jesus feeds a multitude of hungry people. Think about this. They are recorded six times in the four gospel accounts. Have you ever thought about that? Like Jesus feeding, miraculously feeding a huge multitude of people. The Holy Spirit has preserved those accounts six times. Six times in just the four gospel accounts. And I, for one, think that's really exciting. You may be able to tell that this morning. But I think it's exciting. Why is it exciting? Because it means in what you and I are going to look at this morning... God has for us vital, critical, crucial, fundamental lessons and truths about who Jesus is. Like crucial lessons in these verses about the wonder of the gospel of God. Isn't that exciting? Isn't it? So, tell you what we do. Because of that, let's not delay. Let us jump into this portion of scripture. So, let me uh, say to you, if you're visiting this morning, let me say to you what I say at the congregation every week. See through the sermon, would you please have scripture there open in front of you? So, maybe you didn't bring a Bible to church. There'll be Bibles all over the place in front of you. You've maybe got one on the chair or there's one in the pew. If you've not got one, I'm sure somebody would share their copy of scripture with you. But please, as we go through this, the feeding of the 5,000, have God's holy word open there in front of you. Okay. Now what we're going to do is just look at a few emphases that we've got in this text that God gives us here. So the feeding of the 5,000, first thing that I want us to think about is the compassion that Jesus brings. The compassion. So, how do we see compassion here? Like I said, feeding of a multitude of people. Where is there compassion in this? Okay. First of all, I think we see here Jesus' compassion for his own. So it's compassion for his own people. Now, last week, if you were here, most of you were here last week, we spoke quite a bit last week about the structure of this portion of Scripture. So it begins with Jesus sending out his 12 disciples on a mission. He sends out his disciples to go and go around the towns and villages and tell people about the gospel. Then do you remember, do you remember the sandwich filling from last week? There's this middle section where we've got the beheading and the death of John the Baptist. So you've got the start, you've got the middle, and then this section here, This is the end of the portion of scripture where the disciples, what happens? They come back. They've been sent out. They come back and they tell Jesus all the details about the people they met. And they tell Jesus all the instances of witnessing they had in the towns and villages. Now, what I want you to think about here is just how Jesus greets the twelve as they return him. So they come, what does Jesus do? Like, how, how does he react to them as they come back? Does he instantly, does he kind of rebuke them for all the mistakes they made when they were witnessing and all the foolish things they said to the people they met? Does he do that? No. What does he do? Does Jesus, they come back, does Jesus instantly say, okay, we can tick off those villages, can tick off those towns, right, I'm going to give you a new set of villages and towns that you've got to go out. Does he do that? No. Listen 
to the words of verse 30. The disciples come back to Jesus and he says this to them. He says, men, guys, come with me by yourselves. Come to a quiet place, guys, and come and get some rest. I don't know about you, but I think that's just a lovely reaction from our Lord, is it not? I mean, do, do you not see a, a sense of of tenderness in that? I mean, Jesus knows that these guys have had a pretty tough time, actually, the twelve. What do we say? They, they've gone out without any material comforts, remember? And they've been telling people, they've been speaking the gospel in a, what is a hostile environment, a difficult situation, but there's no rebuke, there's nothing like that. Instantly, Jesus has got a compassion. He's got a concern for the well-being of his people. And friends, if you're a Christian this morning... I think you learned there much about how Jesus Christ views you even this morning, even now as we're in church. See, I think the modern church, modern evangelical church, we can view it as being a kind of hard place to be, can't we? We think the way that we think about the church, it's almost like we view the church as having a bit of a sort of workhouse environment. Do you see what I mean? There's this sort of incessant call for service in the church. And, you know, the minister's always banging on about evangelism and this incessant call for witnessing about Jesus. That's a hard place to be, we maybe think. The danger with that is that we, that can skew our view of Jesus. That we can almost begin to think about Jesus as being a sort of hard taskmaster, you know, a slave driver banging this constant drum. Is that how you think of Jesus as a Christian? Nothing could be further from the truth. Your Lord knows what it is like to face the pressures of witnessing to the gospel. He empathizes. And he looks at you as a Christian this morning with great love. And he cares. He cares this morning for your spiritual well-being. The Lord Jesus cares for your mental health and your Lord also cares for your physical well-being. What do we see here? We see that Jesus has genuine compassion for his own people. But we also see something else. We also see that Jesus has compassion for the lost, for the lost. Okay, I'd ask you to do this with me. Picture this scenario for a moment. It is the first day of your holiday, okay? That day has arrived. And you've been working flat out for months and months and months and months. It's been a long time since you've had a holiday. And you are exhausted in need of this holiday. And you are on the way to the tube. You're carrying your suitcase with you because you're going to Heathrow and you're off to somewhere very sunny and very nice. First day of your holiday and you are delighted. And then it happens. The phone is going in your pocket and you pick it up without looking, you answer it. And it is the boss. And he says, oh, it's all gone pear-shaped at work. There's been an absolute disaster at work. And we'll reimburse you, but you're going to have to cancel your holiday and come back into the office. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> I'm guessing that most of us would not be too impressed if that was to happen to us. And here's the thing. The situation in Mark chapter 6 is not actually all that dissimilar to... Now think about it. 
Jesus and his disciples are exhausted. Like they've been out preaching and teaching. And they're tired, really tired. Oh, but the day has come. It's the first day of their break. And they've got together and they're going out, we're told, across the lake just to get some much needed rest and recuperation. Oh no, it happens. What do they see? The phone doesn't go, but what do they see? The crowd has followed them. The crowd is there, so forget the break, cancel the holiday. They're going to have to get back to preaching and teaching. Now, how might we expect Jesus to respond to that situation? I mean, he's had to cancel everything. He's had to knock the whole break on the, on the head. How might we expect, you know, even a hint of frustration about this, maybe? You know, a hint of exasperation because of this? Let me read it to you. Verse 34, listen to this. When Jesus saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. Not a word of frustration. You see it? He was immediately filled to his heart with care for those people. Now, I ask you, what was it about the multitude, the thousands of people that he saw there, what was it about them that led to compassion? Do you see it? Do you see it? What does it say? He had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Like he looks at the multitude, all of those people, and our Lord's heart goes out to them. Why? Because they were in spiritual danger. These people, the multitude of them, in spiritual bewilderment, spiritually untended. And what does he do? Like is this, when we're talking about compassion of God, is it like it is for us so often? Is it just like an empty sentiment? Is that all it is? No, immediately he acts and he begins to tell all of those people where a shepherd can be found. Now friends, I think what we've got there is the true scope in front of us of the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think as a Christian that this morning that Jesus' care is reserved only for the believers in this room? Can I tell you, absolutely not. Do you see that just now, that Jesus' heart goes out to the lost in here, and to the unbelieving outside, and to your friends, and to your neighbors, and he is grieved this very moment that those people are without a shepherd. And surely that's a wake-up call to the people, isn't it? I mean, we think about Jesus' reaction there. We have to ask ourselves right now, surely, do we have such compassion? I mean, do we? Like when we look on at the lost, when we look on at those who are outside of Jesus Christ, are we so moved by their plight that we actively respond to that? I mean, surely in light of this, the people of God should pray for a Christ-likeness. Why? Because our Savior is so filled with compassion that he cares yet for his people in a particular way he cares for us. But he also, look at it, he also has compassion on the multitudes, on the lost. 
So we see very clearly in Mark 6 the compassion that Jesus brings. Okay. Second thing that I want you to think about just now. Second focus here is the challenge that Jesus brings. So the compassion, the challenge. Okay, are you, you, hopefully you're with me just now. Hopefully you know where we are in the story. Jesus and the disciples have knocked on the head this much needed R&R. And at this point in the story, Jesus is now preaching to the multitude. And he's telling them about the kingdom of God and where a shit So he's preaching. He's preaching. Now, I don't know if you noticed it, but in verse 34, the NIV church Bible says, Jesus taught them many, many things. Really, the idea there is that Jesus taught them for a long time. <laughs> for a long, long time. Okay, so this was, this was a long sermon that Jesus preached to the 5,000 people here. And you can see how that goes down with the disciples, I think. You know, if you maybe read in between the lines, like it's getting on a wee bit, you know, and it's getting into late afternoon and the disciples are like, Jesus, you know, this is one long sermon you're preaching here. Do you want to sort of, you know, do you want to knock on the head? And Jesus, tell you what, let us send these, it's getting late, Jesus, let us send all of these people away so that they can, let's send them in the towns and the villages so that they can get some food, something to eat now. How Jesus responds to that is worthy of your attention. So I'd ask you to look at verse 37. He says to the disciples, No, actually, we're not going to send these people away to the towns and villages to get something to eat. What does he say? You do it. So he says to the twelve, You Give them something to eat. You feed them. <laughs> you can see how, how that goes down with the, the, the 12, don't you? They what? They scoff at this. It's like, that is a bad plan, Jesus. Like, we are 12 guys. There are thousands of people there. We don't have any food. Our, it would take eight months' wages even to buy the bread. Our plan is better. Look, send these people away that this is a bad plan. We are not sufficiently equipped to feed all of those people. And I would ask you to consider just how relevant that interaction is to us at London City Presbyterian Church. See, in our conversion to the Lord Christ, what has happened is that the Holy Spirit of God has turned us to face God. But what the Holy Spirit has also done has turned you as a Christian to face the spiritually hungry masses. And in your conversion to Christ, He has said to you what He says here. He has said to you in your conversion, you go and you feed those people. Here's the thing though. Isn't our reaction as Christians very similar to how the disciples react here? We say, that's not a good plan. Like Jesus, we can't witness, we can't feed all of these people. We don't have the resources We're not equipped for this task. We can't do this, Jesus. We can't witness to you. It isn't a good plan. 
But I want you this morning to notice what we very often miss in Mark chapter 6. See, I ask you this, how does this go down? What happens in the remainder of the count? Do the disciples just disperse the crowd and say, right, you go to your towns and villages and go and get some food. Is that how it goes down? No. Does Jesus have to do all of this by himself? Does he go in amongst these 5,000 people and give them bits of food? No. Can I read to you how this goes down? Jesus broke the bread and did what with it? He gave it to the disciples to set before the people. Do you see the point? Despite all of their reservations, despite their quite incredible lack of faith, what did the disciples do? They obeyed. They did it. They went out and they gave these people something to eat. So friends, let me ask you this this morning. How do you view the great commission that God has given to the church? Like, do you as a Christian, do you think this idea that Christians are to witness for Jesus, that Christians are to spiritually feed the hungry masses, do you think that that is utter (laughs) foolishness? Can I say to you what you do not expect me to say to you just now? It is foolishness. It's supposed to be foolishness. Our God has seen fit to display His incredible strength. How? Through the weakness of His people. Through the weakness of His methods. This great commission, this call to go and feed people, tell people the gospel, it is supposed to be foolishness. So perhaps we should take heart this morning because here's the spiritual truth this is what has happened the lord jesus has had his body broken and he stands today ready to apply the saving nourishing effects of that to the masses if if we his people will go out and distribute those to the multitude there's a challenge isn't there jesus says to the twelve, but he also says to the people of God here just now, no, 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 don't send them away. We're not going to do the normal thing. We're not going to do the rational thing. No, you do it. You go out and you feed them. So we see compassion and we see a challenge to the people of God. The third thing we see here is the satisfaction that Jesus brings. So you see how we're through this portion of scripture. You see where we get to just now? We get to the actual miracle itself. So what happens? Jesus is given, well, he's not given much. He's given five loaves and two fish. And he prays. He prays. He breaks up all of the food. We get that. And he gives it to his people to distribute. Most of you normally come to church. And I'm pretty sure if you've sat under preaching before in the past, you know how it goes. You know what lots of ministers do. They'll take the Bible and for their sermon, they will have a text. And usually what that means is that they will take one verse 
from the portion of scripture and that will be the sort of header for everything. You've seen that happen. You know, This is my text for the day sort of idea and it'll just be one phrase or it'll be one verse. That's usually or very often the reformed way of going about preaching, having a text and a plan. Right now, today in here, if we were going to have a text and words that sit at the top of our sermon, it would be the phrase that you've got here in verse 47. This would be our text and the focus of everything. These words, they all ate and were satisfied. I'll read it again. They all ate and were satisfied. I wonder, do you see in this context the significance of those words? It means that this event that we're looking at this morning, the feeding of this huge multitude, it wasn't a symbolic activity. Do you see what I mean? It wasn't a, a sacrament. Last week in the church, if you were here, we had communion. Okay? And my first job, I've got lots of things to remember when I'm doing the Lord's Supper. Lots to remember. One of the first things that I have to do is I have to pass the bread to the elders. Okay? And uh, so what Gabriel was sitting beside me. So I passed the bread to Gabriel and... Gabriel took the biggest bit of bread that I've ever seen anyone take at a communion. And which is fine and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not, as long as not, you know, as long as other people don't do that, otherwise we'd run out of bread. But then I passed it to Brad who was sitting beside me on the other side. And I don't know whether Brad saw what Gabriel did, but Brad took the tiniest little bit of bread that I've ever seen anyone take. Ever! It's tiny. And that's okay. Isn't it? Because in the Lord's Supper, we are not eating to get our full. We're not eating so that we're full up, are we? I mean, in the Lord's Supper, we can do it like that because we are eating to take part. It's symbolic, right? But you see that that was not the case in Mark chapter 6. You see that when Jesus gave the bread to the disciples and they distributed it, the people there, they didn't just take a tiny little bit of fish and a tiny little bit. It wasn't like, what does it say? They all ate and they were satisfied. So 5,000 people, more than that, all of them eating and eating and eating until they were full. Friends, would you see the spiritual message there? It is only Jesus who can satisfy our souls. It is only Jesus who can satisfy your soul. And this morning I just want to lay that at the door of the Christians who are here. See, there's this plague of dissatisfaction and plague of unhappiness that has swept through the church in the 21st century. And we hear it all of the time. I am unhappy. Like even as Christians, I am unhappy. I am unhappy in this city. And I'm unhappy even in this country. I want to go. 
and I'm unhappy in my relationships with my, my, my spouse and my, my children and my friends and I, I am unhappy in this church. Friends, you see the truth that's there? You will only be satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, practically, do you see what that means for the Christians? Do you see what it means? It means that even as people of God, we can change everything in our lives. We can change every circumstance. You can move out of London. You know, you can move church, you can move your relationships, you can move your job, you can do it all, change all your circumstances. What's the truth? You will still be equally unhappy until what happens? Until you look in all things to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would appeal to the people of God this morning, to do that, to let Jesus and He alone be everything. Like, let your whole life revolve around Jesus Christ. Let Jesus be the center of your whole family network. Let all your relationships pivot on Jesus Christ. When you go to work, you work. Why? For His glory. When you come to church, why do we come to church? What is this about? Is it for us? No, let it be for Jesus. And if we do that, what happens? That is when true satisfaction will come for the Christian. It has to be about him. But I also have to be very aware that there's not just Christians here this morning. Is there? Like some of you have come for the baptism of Leah. Have you not? Some people have uh, walked in off the street as well. Some people who have come day in, day out to this church every week who are still not professing Christians. To you, I would remind you of what I said at the beginning of the sermon. This portion of scripture is important. Why? Because it tells us about Jesus. Now, even if you don't know much about the Bible, you know that at this point in time, the Jews in the first century were waiting for something, weren't they? All the Jews were waiting for their Messiah to come. We know that. Now, what we must appreciate is that... Huh? They were waiting for a figure like Moses. And what I want you to understand this morning is that the Jews were waiting for someone who would come and like Moses once again provide what for them? Provide manna in the desert. And so do you see the significance of these verses of Scripture? Do you see what we're being told as those people, the multitude, as they took their place on the ground, as they ate together, this man in front of them, he wasn't just this special guy who could perform the most incredible miracle with food. Who was he? What's the message of Scripture? This man, Jesus of Nazareth, he was the one they had waited for. He was the Christ. He was their promised king. And so, friend, if you're not a Christian, do you see what it is? Do you hear what it is that God is saying to you this morning? I think it's amazing. You may just have come for the baptism. You may just have come in off the street. But listen, in his word, God today is showing you where eternal satisfaction can be found. For your restlessness, for your sinfulness, for your pain. For all of that, it can all be met 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you turn even today to Jesus, what's going to happen this morning? Spiritually speaking, you will eat. And what will be true of you? You will be satisfied. Satisfied in Jesus. Now, I just, I just want to bring in the land. I'm just a couple of seconds more. But I want you to see the hope that Jesus brings. And with this, like we're just in conclusion, last few words, but I need to speak to the Christians. This is a special day for the church and the baptism of Leah. And I need to speak to the Christians. And I want you to see what God is doing for you this morning. And I think it's wonderful what God is doing. Today right here, he's pointing you forward and he's going to show you something here of the future. See, listen, follow me on this. The language of this portion of scripture is the language of a feast. You understand it? When Jesus, when Mark says he has commanded the people, made them sat down, make them sit down on the ground. The language there is as of a celebration. So it's the same language as people taking their place at a great and grand banquet. So you with me? The language is of a feast. Okay. But the setting, wait for it, the setting is the image of a garden. Did you notice a couple of times we are told that the people took their seat on the green, green grass? And then did you notice as well, a couple of times we are told that they were put in groups. Did you notice that? There's all these groupings on the green, green grass. Now, literally, the idea is actually rows. So the people of God, people of God literally made to sit down rows, as in rows of flowers in a flower bed in a garden. A garden. The language is of a feast. The, the setting is of a garden. Do you see what it is that God is doing this morning? He is pointing you as a child of God forward. He is pointing you to the great messianic banquet that will one day happen for all of the people of God. And what will happen on that day, that final day? Would you listen to me? The people of God, all of us, we will gather together in the beauty and the light of the garden of paradise. And we will all come together from all parts of the globe, all of the people, and we will be in row. Do you see it? Row after row after row after row, gathered together, doing what? Praising the name of Jesus. And I'm sure if you're thinking about this portion of Scripture biblically, you see that Mark has got Psalm 23 in his mind. What does he call Jesus? The Lord is our... What is Jesus here? He's our shepherd. And what's going to happen for us on the last day? What is going to be true of all of the people of God? Think about the story. We shall not want. Think about the story on that day. We shall be forever full. Why? Because there before us will be Jesus. He will stand in front of us on that day and he shall break bread and he shall pray and we will forevermore enjoy table fellowship with a Christ. Isn't it marvelous? Do you see why this portion of scripture is so crucial? 
We see Jesus in this. We see his compassion on sinners. We see the satisfaction he's brought through his death and his life and his resurrection. But we see the future. We see the, the, we see the truth. You know, one day Jesus is going to say to you if you're a Christian, the same thing he said to the disciples. You are going to hear Christ say to you, come, come, come with me by yourselves. Come and get some rest. Isn't it marvelous? Let's praise God. Let's pray.